Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator and Happy New Year. We're so excited to have Tammy Zonker joining us today at the beginning of the year to kick us off. Yes, 2024 in style. In style. Tammy is going to be a keynote speaker with us at the Elevate Conference in just a month's time. And we are so excited to have her here today to talk about something that I just love. It's something that I recommend every nonprofit to consider especially place-based nonprofits, and that is storytelling tours. It's this time where we have seen organizations detached from their donors and or everyone's looking for how do we reconnect to our donors and detached from their spaces as yes. organizations too yes. right and so we've invited Tammy here today to sort of give us the big dream picture about what are storytelling tours and then at elevate she's going to be there to give everyone more hands-on tactical application of how to apply as well as really bringing some incredible content so Tammy welcome to the show we're so glad you're here today Yes. As we kick off, I'm going to pass it to Kristen to do an official bio, but Uh I cut you off. Tammy, I didn't mean to cut you off. (laughs) No, I just could. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Love it. Love it. Love it. So Tammy is the host of one of our favorite podcasts, the Intentional Fundraising Podcast. We hope you'll tune in and subscribe. She is recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. Top 20. Uh-huh. Oh, I know. Today. She's stuck. like legit. We're She's super legit. Super <laughs> legit. Hopefully we are by proximity. She <laughs> is an inspiring international speaker and trainer in the discipline of transformational philanthropy. We love her for her masterful use of storytelling and her deep knowledge of major gift strategies. She holds so many titles, including AFP Master Trainer, Dean at the Institute for Charitable Giving, and an advisor at Capital Campaign Pro. When Tammy is not speaking at conferences or fundraising, she's leading webinars, online masterclasses, board and development team retreats, workshops, and coaching her online membership community of fundraising transformers. She is also one of our keynote speakers at this year's Elevate Conference that we invite all of our listeners to attend. We will be spending February 1st and 2nd this year with her diving into fundraising events. And Tammy will be joining us as a keynote speaker on how to engage and steward donors. And we'll be providing a hands-on session for what we are going to talk about today. And that is storytelling tours. So Tammy, thank you for being here today as a little precursor, a little sort of dangling enticement, (laughs) if you will, for the Elevate Conference. And we want to talk about the magic tool that you introduced Sam and I to at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference several years ago when we were all speaking there. And I looked over at Sam and she was transfixed. I was. I was. In a way that, you know, we all go to conferences And while it's good information coming in, sometimes it's just going in. Um, But there was a shift happening for her and that she was understanding and seeing an opportunity in a very real and different way. So storytelling tours, can you tell all of our friends listening, what is a storytelling tour? I would be delighted. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So a storytelling tour is essentially a free one hour tour of your mission. And that's an 
important distinction. It is not a tour of your campus, your facility. You're not going to show me the break room and the copy machine, right? <laughs> it, it is all about your mission. And honestly, it's a great way to raise awareness about what you do and why it matters. Yep. It's a great way to show brand new donors, first time donors, what they're supporting or loyal donors up close and personal, how they're making a difference. Um, and I'll just go on and on because it's a tool that can be applied in so many ways. It's an amazing way to introduce foundation gift officers or maybe corporate partners or sponsors or programmatic underwriters, you know, to see again, up close and personal your work and there's more. <laughs> it is a great new employee orientation tool. Oh. Yeah, Blowing or better yet. <laughs> yes, better yet. Why not have interviewees come through a tour? Amazing. And as a launch point, like this is really what we do. And how do you see yourself being a part of this? It's a volunteer orientation, a board um a new board member orientation or even a board recruitment tool. So there's so many ways you can use a story tour or storytelling tour to really get the word out and connect with people. I think that's so important, the connection. I feel like we've lost that the past couple of years and we're at this like influx where the data's not good. We're hearing horror stories of losing <laughs> donors. And you and I have talked about this before. I think we've been in this like state of crisis, not community. And reconnecting folks, bringing people back in. And I like just jotted down as you were introducing the idea of a storytelling tour, a tour of your mission. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about how you do that? Cause immediately I go to like, here's our, you know, service area, here's our education classroom, but that's a tour of your building. How, like, how does that translate into mission? Yes. Great question. So you really want your work to come to life and at the same time, first and foremost, of course, we need to honor the dignity of the people who are engaging yeah. in our programs and services, yeah. right? To respect them so that they never feel like I'm on display here. Right. 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 So you want to host your story tours at a time that's convenient for your community to come in, but yet not your peak hours for service delivery. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Yeah. And you want to be certain that when you're talking about the challenges that the people that you serve, the what they're working to overcome, that those are shared in discrete places. So no one ever feels like we're talking about them. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think that that's like a number one. But then where we go to once like, OK, we've we are all in alignment on honoring the dignity and respect of the people in our programs. Then we take a look at, okay, I want to share when people come into the tour, kind of a, a, a brief overview of our mission. What do we do? Why does it matter? This is a page from Tom Ahern and his great yeah. donor communication mm -hmm. case for support. What do you do? Why does it matter? Why are you the organization to address this? What's unique about your theory of change, your process model? Because there is some duplicity in our communities oftentimes amongst different organizations. So what sets you apart? Mm -hmm. And so we wanna make that clear. So we also wanna make clear why now? 
Why mm. is understanding, why is our service delivery, the work that we do important now? What's the urgency? Right. And, and maybe even what would happen if our organization went away? What yeah. kind of hole would it leave in our community? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the welcome. Thanks for being here. Here's what we do and why it matters. And then we take a look at um, the programs that we deliver, kind of building off the rule of three. And we know from, you know, good old marketing 101, we know from uh, Dan and Chip Heath that the things that are packaged together in threes are stickier. They're more memorable. Yeah. So you want to highlight three program areas. Now, I know some of our listeners might be thinking like, listen, Tammy, we have like 40 programs. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Only three. Only three. So you want these to be categories. So I'll give you some examples. Yeah. Um, I was I served for nine years as the chief philanthropy officer at the Children's Center in Detroit. And so a lot of the examples that I share around story touring are from that experience. So again, 40 some programs, but we were able to package them in three areas. Healthy start, mm. making certain that kids had a healthy start in life, regardless of whether they lived in poverty regardless of whether they um, had a perfectly loving home. Uh, but, you know, maybe that that home had a family member that had a neurological uh, difference or a learning disability or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, or maybe a parent was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So making certain that we could surround that, that child, that family, that nucleus, and make certain they got the healthiest start possible. Yep. So that's where we could talk about, um, you know, preventative care. We could talk about the work that we did with teenage moms and helping strengthen those young families. The second area was healing the hurt because unfortunately Mm -hmm. not every kid got a healthy start. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. healing the hurt was the biggest part of, of what we did. So that could be, you know, trauma treatment. It could be grief and loss. It could be, um, abuse and neglect, you know, yeah. the really hard, hard stories. And yet these families are so inspiring. They're so resilient and dedicated to helping this child heal. So healing the hurt. And then the third area was safe home. Mm. And that's where we talked about uh, foster care. Um, the goal was always family reunification, but sometimes that wasn't possible. So we also talked about adoption services, or independent living services for older youth who were in the foster care system and weren't great candidates for adoption, right? Like, so most 17-year-olds don't want to be adopted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They yeah. want to be independent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. So those are th- examples from the Children's Center. I've also worked with Meals on Wheels, and their three program areas are often, like, um, Nourishing the body, Mm -hmm. which is obvious, right? We deliver healthy, nutritious meals to homebound neighbors and friends. Enriching the spirit, because sometimes that volunteer delivery person was the only person that they spoke to on Mm -hmm. any given day. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then strengthening the community, like what it means to the community when people can age in place where they want to be. Yeah. So those are just, again, examples of how we can kind of compartmentalize the vast work that we do through our organizations. 
May I ask a follow-up to that? Because I can hear, yes. I can hear our um, nonprofit friends. <laughs> yes, because speak we, for them. We, we, we all know that there sometimes can be a little tension between development and programming, right? right. Um, so my question to you is, in those examples where you're for the for the the narrative of development uh, in this tour for sort of ostensibly cultivating these relationships, which we know serves the whole organization, including the program staff, but program staff gets sometimes a little twitchy and um, interested in how we're teasing apart programs, clumping them, talking about them. So in this development, was that something that was happening with program staff so that they you had their buy-in and they felt a part of this piece? Is it something that was developed and brought to them and, and they were brought along? Like sort of what was that process like? Yeah. I mean, the most successful organizations who integrate, develop, create, implement these story tours. There is close collaboration between the development and marketing folks and the program folks. The number one thing that's important is to make certain that we are aligned, our value alignment between programs and development. Because sometimes program folks can can think, those fundraising people, they just want to, they're just all about the money. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I want to protect these yep. families. I want to protect these children yep. as they should. But we actually are on the same team. We also want to honor their our family's dignity, to respect them, yeah. to tell the stories in the way that they want them to be told, to make them a, a anonymous stories. Like I'm going to tell you the story of let's call her Jesse. Let's call him Jack when it's appropriate. So just to make certain that we are in alignment about how we talk about our work, that we talk about it in a strength based way, mm. yep. which doesn't mean we don't talk about the problem. Right. But you yeah. know, the, the, here's what, when I work with, especially I've spent most of my career in children's mental health, behavioral health hospice. And when we talk about, you know, the the family, the challenge, it's important that we don't make the parent the villain. Yeah. 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 The villain is poverty. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the villain is racism. The right. villain are the circumstances in which families feel so stressed that it creates this environment where trauma can occur. Well, it's interesting because yeah. I think that, the thing that blew my mind when you were presenting for the first time this idea of a storytelling tour was that you were using story instead of a list of programs, right? So that idea of threes gives you the opportunity to tell three stories and speak to also systemic issues or systemic villains out there in the world mm -hmm. that maybe as an individual I want to impact, but it feels too big. It feels too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so it was this sort of like incredible blend of, as a donor, I could come and feel connected to your work, but I did not have to be a mental health expert to make a change in something as insidious as poverty. And so yeah. those that little magic sweet sauce showed up when there was an invitation in, a connection to people in place by touring and being like in the physical space. And then the stories of the work really anchoring an individual in 
how they could have impact by giving, by volunteering, by being employed at this location. Like the power of the storytelling tour just like married all of those things together. So your your opening statement about it's a tour of your mission is like just the aha mm -hmm. it is so brilliant to be able to say, instead of our mission is printed on the wall, you know, <laughs> no, we're going to show it in real life. We're going to show you what it is to be in the mission, which I just yeah. think is yeah. such a powerful tool. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that. And, and just one, I want to underscore yeah. something that you said to really create community and for people to feel like I don't have to be a mental health professional yeah. to make a difference. Part of that is not using jargon. Yes. Which is yes. exclusive. <laughs> like it's exclusionary. It's so alienating. Language. Yes. Yes. Well, and so I, as, as a person with a personal mission trying to look for uh, an avenue to align that with. When I go to a fundraising event, I know I'm going to be asked for right. money, right? And it's my understanding on these storytelling tours, there's not an ask. So That's right. So can, can you talk to us about how you finish, and yet the want is more action or mm -hmm. more connection, right? So what, what, what did your conclusion to a storytelling tour look, up, look like yeah. and, and how were folks invited in? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll start with the conclusion. Great. So at the end of the tour, um, you know, it is a conversation like it, the tour is one hour, like it's been 55 minutes. We know that you have to go. You've got, you're very busy people and we're busy too. As you heard, we're busy too. Uh -huh. <laughs> AKA <laughs> like love you bye mm -hmm. right <laughs> because we don't want to we want people wanting more when they yeah. leave so that they will connect either they'll return our call or or they'll call us before we even have a chance to reach out to them and so we say it's been an hour you've been so generous we know you have a lot to do we do too my request is that you help us spread the word mm -hmm. you know unfortunately the issues that many of Detroit's children and families face, in our case, Detroit, um, are really not known. You know, people think, gosh, Detroit's coming back. There are great restaurants. And, <laughs> and they think that it's, you know, that it's mm -hmm. healed. And the truth is there's still so much work to do yeah. to unpack decades and decades and decades of poverty and racism and the stigma around mental and behavioral health. So your, your call to action to the, you know, our listeners here today is help us spread the word to, to, for, for people to understand what we do, why it matters, and to intrigue them to come and learn more. So help us spread the word by inviting others to this tour. Mm. Now, so there, to your point, Kristen, there is no ask for money on this tour yeah. whatsoever. Although occasionally people will give you money. Sure. Right. Of course. We got a phone call from Keegan-Michael Key's agent. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's a great comedian and an amazing actor. And he was actually born in Detroit. Mm -hmm. He was born, he was put into foster care as an infant. And he says, I was one of the fortunate ones. I was adopted by a beautiful, loving family, mm -hmm. you know, as a baby before really any trauma could happen to me. Right. And so I want to, I want to give back in the city mm -hmm. where, where I was born. And so he, and at the time his fiance, they're now married. They took the tour. It was incredibly emotional. 
And they said, we want to give you $25,000. We have a, a foundation. We want to do that in honor of our wedding and wow. our up- upcoming wedding. And um, so that sometimes people will give you money. Right. And it doesn't have to be a celebrity. It can be um, just friends and neighbors who just have that empathy and that compassion and really want to make a difference. Well, and what a great active channel to plug folks into, meaning, you know, often we're like, sign up for our newsletter. Right. And you're like, cool. Now I'm signed up for this newsletter. I'm not saying- Or email. Or email. I'm not saying saying that's not great. But as a channel, we find, and we know all of the psychology involved when people are talking to people and basing that in story and in a place, there's a different level of resonance that happens. And so just even this being a practice in an organization- Mm Um, having that as an available channel when someone calls, it could be a call like that, but it could also just be a call of somebody saying, Hey, I heard about you guys. Can I talk to somebody? And it's like, you have an immediate, like, yes, I would love to have a conversation with you. How's this at this time? And it just gives, and it's better than like, do we want to sit at a table and stare at each other and be like, Oh, who are you? Do you blah, 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 blah. There's something about us being able to bounce off of each other in narrative and that ability to open donors up to divulge their own narrative unsolicited in a way that when we're active listeners to that, as Peter Drury would say, story listeners, right? There were the storytellers and the story listeners that that's the, I, yeah, the more I get into this, the more I'm just like, this is so amazing. This is it. This is it. Yes. Yes. This is it. And you know, you um, illuminate a point that I didn't make. And that is if I'm leading the tour, I start off by sharing why I do this work. Yep. The executive director, if they join for a bit to introduce themselves, maybe do the overarching mission piece, they share why they do this work. And in that sharing, there is an intimacy. Yeah. There is a relationship acceleration that happens. Mm. People would come in, they would shake your hand, but by the end of this tour, they're hugging you. Yeah. And as I walk them to their cars, to your point, Kristen, I mean, I had a gentleman, um, you know, little salt and pepper in his hair (laughs) and he lingered after the tour as we were walking out to the parking lot and when everyone else was gone, he shared with me that he had been abused, sexually abused as a, as a young boy. Wow. Wow. And so it's people, to your point, like they see where does their narrative intersect yeah. with the narrative of these families that whatever your work is, yeah. whether it was there, but by the grace of God, go I. Yeah. Like I was one of the very fortunate or I had... Tr- you know, everybody, it's all relative. Yeah. For some children, trauma is my, I got my tonsils out. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I was scared. And for some children, it, you know, I lived in domestic violence. Yeah. There was shooting, there were shootings on my street. Yeah. yeah. It's all relative. It's still trauma. Yeah. You're also, I love the idea of fixed time. We're at 55 mm-hmm. minutes. Like you, you've got a day, I've got a day, all those things. Yet... The, the generosity of an hour both ways is a very yes. interesting thing to me, right? And people giving us that is important, 
but I also see that they they understand us giving that to them being important, especially mm-hmm. when they learn about the depth and breadth of work, that there's a generosity exchange there that tees up what could potentially come as well is a very interesting piece. We're also allowing people time to think and feel. Yeah. And we don't live in a world right now give me your email, send you a newsletter. I'm going to send you a voicemail, a text or whatever. Like we're not creating. And that's why we love events. You're trying to create a space to give people time to think and to feel and to be together. And that the story, the story tour does that as well. And I just think that's, oh, it's so good. Well, I want to reflect on an episode of your podcast, Tammy, Um, You did a podcast recently, I think it released in November with Paul Zak, and I want to encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. He's a neuroscientist that we reference his research all the time because it's so central in what we do with events. But you talked about the importance of immersive experiences Mm -hmm. and what immersion in something does to a donor to be able to feel that connection that deepens their investment in your work. And this is a storytelling tour is an immersive experience. You know, I think that I've had another organization who started to apply some storytelling tours. And one of the things that came out of it for them was their staff felt seen in a different way mm-hmm. because their donors were coming in the door and being introduced to the front desk receptionist and introduced to the clinician. And all of a sudden their staff started um, sort of feeling some pride in the way that they were being introduced and connected to donors and donors were asking them questions and invested in their work in a different way. So that immersiveness of donors aren't just come coming in, you know, like you said, touring your building. They're not just walking through your space. They're connecting to your stories. They're listening to the like importance of why you do this work. They're meeting people. And Like, it feels to me like the salve we all need post-pandemic of, like, how do we just, like, hug each other again and say, come back. We're so glad you were a part of this work. Don't forget about us in a powerful way. So I think that is such a compelling reason to integrate storytelling tours into your work. But before we dive into how to do that. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a little promotional break. And when we come back, I want to ask you, because you are also such an expert in helping nonprofits navigate all of the sort of organizational tools necessary to be effective. I want to ask how to apply all of this. So we'll take a short break. We'll be back with Tammy in just a moment. Loving the fundraising elevator, but wondering how you can talk to Sam and Kristen? Well, now's your chance to do it. Book one-on-one consulting time with Swain Strategies experts, Sam, Kristen, and Mary, and get all your event questions answered. Our team has you covered on strategic planning, fundraising strategy, storytelling, data tools, and registration support. Get the tools and the help you need to make the most impact at your fundraising event. Book at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. Events have a unique power to create an immersive experience for your donors and your mission. That's why we created the Elevate Conference, to teach you the tools for planning a successful fundraising event. Join us for Elevate 2024 on February 1st and 2nd. This hybrid fundraising conference will be hosted at Avenue in Portland, Oregon, 
and broadcast online for a virtual audience. You'll get practical tools, demos, and templates you can implement right now. Join us. The Elevate Conference is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com and is presented by Swaim Strategies and the AV Department. To find out more and register, visit ElevateNonprofit.com today. Welcome back to the Fundraising Elevator. We're here with Tammy Zonker. We're talking about storytelling tours. And we've talked a little bit about what they are, but I want to talk about how, because I think that nonprofits are very busy. You are such a skilled teacher when it comes to organizational systems and setup for development professionals. Can you talk a little bit about when someone listens to this and says, I want to start doing that? where would you start? How do you begin to do this? How do you create like a work schedule that makes this possible? What's the best starting point? Yeah. So the first thing is for it to, to live inside your organization, it needs to be systematized. It needs to be routine. (laughs) Yeah. It's not an episodic event. It's like once a month or twice a month on a consistent date and time forever. Don't don't take the summer off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So for you, just to apply that at the Children's Center for you, you're like blocking out your schedule Thursday afternoons and you're having other people fill them in. Are you scheduling them? Like how, how are you launching that consistency to get people in the door? Yeah. So we just schedule them on a repeatable date and time. And that's what we would encourage any of your listeners who want to embrace this. So is it the first and third Thursday of every month at noon and 530? And again, you want to pick times that are not peak hours for service delivery, because we don't want to intrude. Like when we tour, it's we're not going to tour a therapy session. Right. We're going, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, going to maybe walk in a therapy room that's empty and talk about the work, talk about what are some of the statistics about why people need therapy, the statistics around violence in communities or trauma that children experience, um, you know, myth-busting, kind of soul-stirring and, frankly, kind of disturbing stats about the work that you do. and. So we're, we're in that space. We presence the need, the problem. We talk about the solution, mm-hmm. what we bring, why we do this work, how we do it. And then we tell a story. Mm-hmm. Now, I, so, so that's, that's how we presence it. That's kind of the immersion piece of it. And you want to make certain that you have some visual aids. So it could oh. be the therapy room. It could be a teddy bear sitting in a mm-hmm. rocking chair in that therapy room at the children's center. You know, we always had like some kids had sensory integration issues. And so there might be a sand table. And one of the stories we might tell would be of a, a a little boy, we're going to call him Riley. And, you know, he would be just meticulous in hiding all the scary toys, the guns that were in the room, the snakes that were in the room, he would put them under the sand and he would smooth it out Mm. so that everything looked fine on the surface, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so we would use those visual immersive tools that are actually used in service delivery to illuminate that story, Mm -hmm. to have it come to life. 
Now, you just said something that was an aha moment because I assumed that you were always doing these one-on-one, but are you actually doing them in groups too? Yeah, small oh. groups. Yeah, most often small groups or... So like if you, you know, have a 1230 slot, are you putting as many people you can into that slot or is it a group that came together? It yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> so it could be like you can sign up on the website oh, for our tours. Uh-huh. We're going to we're going to do a reminder call the day before or maybe if it's an afternoon tour, a reminder call that morning. We're going to have someone waiting at the front door to greet you and take you to the room where the tour starts. And sometimes you have a major donor or you've got a longtime donor. Maybe it's someone who is not as mobile mm-hmm. as, you know, m- m- might not be able to keep up or feel comfortable in a walking tour. And so sure. you're doing a private tour for them. Or maybe it's, you know, Keegan. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you don't want people fanning around him wanting signatures. Yep. Uh, and we worked yeah. with a lot of the, the Detroit Lions players and Detroit Pistons players. And, and so we would schedule one-offs for yeah. them. Um, sometimes we would have, you know, a, a foundation mm-hmm. who said our board of trustees wants uh, to come yeah. and we're doing a tour of the organizations that we have supported in the last year. And so they'll bring up literally a bus. <laughs> and we will do we'll do a tour with them. They will they will have, you know we'd like to have Panera delivered and then have some one on one conversations about the outcomes of the programs we funded. Beautiful. So that's a private tour. Yeah. But public tours, I mean, you could have six, eight people. I mean, you don't want two dozen. Right. You want it to feel connected. Feel connected, and not like surely all these other people are going to do something about this. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. That's so good. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about you said earlier this is not a tour of your building. Yeah. However, access is an interesting thing. And I think um donors getting access to where the magic happens is a very interesting thing. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the importance of access to place or hypothetical place, like acknowledging that not everybody has a place where their work is happening. Can you talk about the difference of like literally a real estate tour and sort of how that tour of, of rooms and a geography can create an emotional geography for donors to participate in? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I can, I'll give you two examples. So one, again, Children's Center, because I was there so long, yeah. I have lots and lots of examples from there. And it's mental health, it's privacy. So I think it's a ex- kind of an extreme example. So if we can do it there, you can do this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. totally. So one of the, the second stop on the tour was healing the hurt. And so we would go to our emergency crisis care center. So it's a place where first responders... EMS, um, even kids who showed up at the children's hospital with a psychiatric emergency who couldn't be seen in a timely fashion were put in an EMS and brought to the Children's Center Emergency Crisis Care Center. Wow. These were kids, I mean, they were having yeah. emergencies. Typic yeah. emergencies, like oftentimes suicidal or homicidal ideations. Yeah. 
And so we would come to the entrance of that space, which of course all the spaces required the right access scanning code because it's all sure. you know very very secure. Yeah. And so I would say we're about to go through our emergency crisis care center, and this is when I would talk about suicidal or homicidal ideations most often. You know, it it costs us about X amount to run this. The Medicaid reimbursement is less than half of that, but it's the right thing to do. And so we look to our community to help us bridge this gap because children and youth need these services. And so if you'll stay right here, I just want to go back in and make certain that we don't currently have any patients or any clients mm. in, in yeah. crisis. Yeah. And so that was part of it. They got like, we are not going to walk in and jeopardize someone's well-being right. so that you can look and see. It's your right. values so, in action, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we'd say, oh, thankfully, there's no one in crisis at this moment. Let me walk you through. And we would go into one of the rooms and we would showcase, like, notice that there's not a lot of furniture. Notice that the television monitors are secured by plexiglass behind plexiglass it's because often there's like a lot of emotion yeah that mm-hmm. happens in these rooms i mean if these walls could talk yeah right. in fact let me tell you the story of cody and i would tell cody's yeah. story so uh i think that's how you tour space with respect mm-hmm. or maybe you know cody actually is a a real <laughs> um, was, I mean, it's a real story. And he was also an incredibly gifted artist and he would do self-portraits that were very abstract. And, and we would say like, like there was one where he had a pre-pandemic, a handkerchief over his face and half of his face was sh- shadowed out. It was like a cloud was over it. Hmm. And, and, and we, and his therapist said, what does this mean to you? And he said, Um, he explained the piece of art. He said, I feel like part of me is disappearing, but I know it's the part of me that's not healthy. Hmm. Wow. But I, but I miss it. Like I'm losing part of myself. So just how complex mental health and behavioral health can be. So that's one story of place-based. Now there are a lot of organizations that have Boring office syndrome. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I think about the work. I was on contract with for a couple, uh, two and a half years to help do some turnaround work with the United Way for Southeastern Michigan. And so I served as a con in a contract role as like their senior director of corporate philanthropy. And the goal was to shift workplace giving from transactional to relational Mm -hmm. and from, um, you know, kind of strong-armed giving into inspired giving through storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so literally all the work happened out in the community. The offices that was all administrative, Mm -hmm. except for one, with one exception, their 211 help desk. Okay. Um, So, you know, we would, uh, we would kind of, we would create tour stops. So if the, if we were talking about early childhood development and high school graduation turnaround, we literally would walk into one of the conference rooms where we had some of our our goals and our red, yellow, green, like are we succeeding on our key measurements, our key outcomes? Uh, And we would have like 
you know, an apple and a little peanut butter sandwich on the table, like a little school lunchbox. Mm-hmm. And, or we would have children's books. And we would talk about the fact that in a typical U.S. home, um, you know, average income, mid- middle income, there's about 13 books for every child. Hmm. In a, a community or in a home that is not wealthy, where they're living at or below the poverty, there's typically on average one book for every 13 children in that community. Oh, wow. And so we would just, you know, we'd have visual aids that yep. would make it come to life. So you don't yep. have to have a classroom that you can walk people in. You right. can have visual aids that have it come to life. You know, it's funny because you mentioned this is a way to like onboard new employees, onboard mm-hmm. new volunteers. And um, we did an episode with Susan Howlett, who wrote, yeah. you know, Susan. So she wrote um, Boards on Fire and talked about the importance of getting your board into the work of the mission. And she told some similar stories. She wasn't framing it as much as a storytelling tour, as much as an experience of the mission. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the stories she talked about was an organization that was environmental and she would get the board out on a walking, like a hiking tour. Um, another organization, mental health organization that was bringing people into the therapy rooms so that they had that visceral connection that I appreciate you say that you don't necessarily always have to have place because I think that sometimes when our work is in community, we can actually go out into the community and witness the work happening too. Mm-hmm. So that is a powerful reminder. I think place is an underutilized value that people have or resource that people have, mm-hmm. because when I feel connected to place, it definitely feels like, wow, this is somewhere I belong. But understanding that place can also be the bigger, the work in the community, the mission, or just the like connection to where we physically show up and work every day. Like that's yeah. a powerful connection. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm thinking too about, you were talking earlier about the idea of threes and stickiness. And I, I think bigger stickiness, what you're doing is you're providing people examples that a multitude of examples that they can resonate with at least one of them, right? You know, it's like the lunch may not connect to me, the books. Right. Yeah. You know, the lunch also connects to me. That's not what I'm (laughs) saying. But you're you're providing a range. You're also providing them that lovely thing that a story does, which is a portable, shareable, emotionally connected thing that they can leave with. And if they get nothing else, they can be like, did you know? That for every yes. kid right. in sort of middle income and above, you know, they can tell that story in a really visceral and quick way. And I think that's also what's amazing about these. So yeah. when you've created the safe space environment for your guests to be able to come into, what's your responsibility back to the staff? I mean, they're they're sort of co-conspirators with you in this, right? They have to make space for you to be coming through their work environment. So what's your responsibility back to them? Yeah, I think this is such an important question because we as fundraisers, as community engagement managers, we're like, what's next? What's next? I'm, you know, I'm booked back to back. And it's always like looking forward. Yeah. We have to take time to look back, to circle back to that clinician who shared the story, who gave us enough information and, and, helped us get consent to share the story in the way that the program participant wanted it shared. 
in the format that they agreed to. And so to circle back and say, I just want you to know that that group of funders who came through, they talked specifically about the story Mm. that you helped us create. Mm. I want you to know that we were awarded a gift or, you know, Keegan-Michael Keyes came through and he and his wife gave us $25,000 because they were so inspired by you and the work that you do. And here's what I hear all the time, just from everyday people. I say, you know, thank you. Like we do a thankathon or we're thanking them. Thank you for caring for your love and compassion for our children and families. And they'll say, listen, giving is the easy part. What you, what <laughs> right. y'all do, that's the hard part. Yeah. This is yeah. the least I could do. Yeah. And to let your program staff know that that's how our supporters feel about them. Yeah. Like they feel seen and heard and appreciated. Yeah. It makes their story come alive in a very different way. When folks see the environment that your frontline staff are working yeah. in, understanding the obstacles they're up against, there is a, there is a really interesting connection that happens for them and an elevation of their work by connection mm-hmm. that you can't do another way. It's, it's funny. very we, interesting. We get tours sometimes just because we're coming on board to be a partner to the nonprofit that even if they don't have a formal system of a storytelling yeah. tour, they'll bring us through their space so we get to know what they do. And yeah. I have that experience. One of the warehouses we work with um they're a furniture bank, furniture warehouse, and they have like a welcome desk that their client comes to. And that door is open and closed a million times a day. And I happened to tour on a cold, rainy day. And the person that was sitting there greeting me was so sweet. And she was so cold that um, when we were cleaning out our office, we had an extra uh, little space heater and I took it over to her. So like even just the like connection to understand the environment she was working in create and now every time we see each other like she's at events all the time that we produce and she'll be like my friend and so there's that like connection that happens by people being in shared community together and that's I think just something we've been so missing right now yeah yes agreed that connection is everything well I want to know about your board's role in this (laughs) <laughs> what role did they play? Did they tour with you? Did they give tours? Did they fill your calendar with tours? What's their job in this? Their job is to invite people to attend a tour themselves. Okay. And to invite others to attend a tour. Okay. And so, I mean, at the Children's Center, it was a really big deal. We were like, you know, if you're on the development committee, we want you to bring two or more people a month. If you are on the board not on the development committee, you're on a, maybe a finance committee. We, we want we want you to bring either host a tour where you're bringing 10 people or bring 10 or 12 people a year. It could be all at once. It could be two a month. It could drip it out across 12 months, whatever works for you. Now, here's the thing. Probably half of them fulfilled that. Uh-huh. I think that's the, pretty much the case. Like, we want you to sell tickets to <laughs> right. a gala. Uh-huh. Half of them will do it. Yeah. We want you to get auction items. Half of them will do it. Right. So I think that's pretty much on par. But we really want them to attend and not just to attend once. You know, I said we, we want you doing these tours at least once a month forever. Mm. Your programs change. The community mm-hmm. needs change. Yeah. And so it's important to refresh that tour and to have 
repeat people, board members, even donors or supporters or volunteers who've been through the tour previously to come back, to give feedback on the changes, to learn more about how we're shifting and expanding or contracting to meet the community needs as they evolve. Yeah. Did you, I think that's, that's the board role. Yeah. Did you, that makes me think, did you have a mechanism like an audit mechanism for you to understand when a refresh needed to happen? Did you have sort of like an episodic evaluation where you would be like, over this time, I just want to check in. How are we doing? Is this a conflict? Like, what was that system? We definitely would reevaluate evaluate the tour content at least once a year. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, here's the thing. We're fundraisers. So we're constantly being asked like, oh my gosh, we need support for this. It's like, well, that's new. Got it. Tell us about that. Yeah. And so it was really like just the natural collaboration between Mm -hmm. program needs. It was like, Ooh, flares, like things are changing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Things are, or unfortunately you, maybe there would be a community incident. Sure. Whether it was violence in a school and was like, okay, we need to incorporate this into our tour. Number one, to to be relevant and to let people know we're part of the solution here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not the exclusive solution. It takes going to take all of us. Right. But we're part of it. Yeah. Well, you had some tremendous results. And I, I know that you're not currently at the Children's Center, but during your time there, this was a transformative program. What could this sort of program do for an organization? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been gone It'll be three years uh, in May. I'm still a leadership level donor. Of course. Right. Love them. <laughs> love them. Love them. So at the Children's Center, we had more than 600 tour guests a year pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic hit, we shifted to a virtual tour. So it was not a mm. recorded tour, like go to the yeah. link and right. watch it. It was still live. Yeah. yeah. But it was facilitated through Zoom. Mm-hmm. And even, even then we had uh, over 300 people wow. come, come, come through the tour. So what we saw was typically, especially with the in-person, about half the guests uh, of the tour got involved in some way. Mm. Maybe, maybe they did a school supply drive or a food drive or they went back to their company and said, we should include the children's center in our sponsorship or our, our, you know, our, our corporate foundation support, you know, come learn about it. Or maybe they got a volunteer group of young professionals to come and do campus beautification or what they're doing this week is the holiday shop mm. where we've done. We see, you just can't, you're, you're never done. You're never done. We, well, you're a donor. You're still a we. I'm still a we. Yes. Uh, so they, they um, so they they get donations of brand new gifts and you know boy um, toddler toddler boy toddler girl toddler gender neutral um, teenager boy teenage girl gender neutral and they will get like all of these incredible gifts and gift cards and pajamas and socks and underwear and blankets and. These amazing volunteers will set up a shop where families can come. They schedule mm. a time to come yeah. shop for their family. Amazing. Awesome. Because that parent or that guardian or that grandmother, they know whether 
you know, Jesse wants a doll with a pink dress or a yellow dress. Yeah. yeah. You know, they know their, and, and it, we also respect their dignity more yes. because you, you want to know what your kid's opening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Here's like, a pile of unwrapped th- or of wrapped things. Of wrapped Good luck. Gifts. Hope you like them. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all going to be surprised on Christmas morning or however they, we celebrate. So just the fact that they could shop uh, for every child in their family, not just children who are receiving services because- you know, why is he so special? We wanted to mitigate all of that. And then yeah. they would take those packages to another room where volunteers were wrapping them. Amazing. And, and they got to pick like, oh, Jessica would love the snowman wrapping paper. And, you know, Kayla would love the Santa awesome. wrapping paper. So uh, just beautiful, beautiful expressions of how people chose to get to get involved. But eventually, for those who eventually gave, their gifts were four to five times larger than people who had not been on a tour. That's wow. what I'm talking about right there. Like Four the to other, five times like larger. if you listen to nothing else today, that, and, and we can go down all the psychology of that, but yeah. there is a real tried and true connection between immersion, connection, emotional connection, all of those things. And when you're taking a small group of people through and hearing stories of impact, all of a sudden those people feel like they can make an impact. Yeah. They're not reading yeah. it in a headline going, I have no idea what to do about the increased rates of mental illness in youth or whatever. You know, <sighs> again, I want to yeah. encourage listeners to so go good. listen to the intentional fundraising so, podcast so that Tammy good. did with Paul Zach. <sighs> it is that it is that yeah. like, the thing I loved about that episode, Tammy, is that it was the the nerdy neuroscience yeah. of what you're talking it's about. The best. It's, it's like the best. We can He's dream. Brilliant. He, he is, is brilliant. brilliant, and we can dream of a four to five times larger gift. But you just showed us how to make that happen. Well, yeah. we're going to take a short promotional break, and when we come back, we want to hear a few stories from you, and then we're going to ask you to step into the fundraising elevator with us. So we'll be right back. Elevate. We believe in bringing people together. Our online learning platform for fundraising events has webinars, workshops, downloadable tools, and more designed to save you time and stress when planning your next event. We're getting nonprofit, development, and event planning professionals the tools and ideas they need to create events that inspire donors and raise more money. So join us at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. Welcome back. We are so, so, so lucky to be here because we are talking 
to one of the best. Tammy Zonker <laughs> is one of the best. And um, we continue to learn. We've had ahas in this, yeah. this podcast alone. Writing all Sam's the furiously writing down notes. I've seen her tear up a couple times. This is good, good stuff, y'all. We are talking story tours and their potential for your organization to connect donors to your mission, to walk them literally through the heart of your mission. I'm wondering if you have any favorite stories of donors or folks who were on tours and sort of when those moments happened for them? Mm -hmm. Well, one story comes to mind. Uh, I mentioned that I was on contract with the United Way for Southeastern Michigan for about two and a half years, and we created a story tour there. And when we were approaching companies to come on board or renew their workplace campaigns, we wanted to meet with their CEOs, you know, a C-suite person and, and bring them on a tour. Yep. And so uh, we called it the CEO visit. <laughs> and, you know, how we got these visits, you're like, well, that's nice. I don't happen to have the number of the CEO of General Motors. And so this is where we use, you know, the tools and the strategies from good old major gift fundraising, peer to peer. So we had a campaign cabinet comprised of CEOs, executive leadership of some of the, you know, biggest companies or maybe not big companies. It was a kind of a diverse group, but they were definitely community leaders. They were passionate about giving back. And so this particular campaign cabinet at the United Way was chaired by a gentleman named Jeff Bergeron. And Jeff was the managing partner at Ernst & Young, downtown okay. Detroit. And one of his big clients was General Motors. So he did have a relationship with yeah. uh, the North American president of GM, and his name was Mark Royce, uh, a really amazing individual. And so Jeff called, he got the visit, Mike Brennan, who was the CEO of United Way, he and I, and I think uh, one of the members of my team who was like the account liaison for that, for General Motors, we were invited, Jeff secured the visit, we were invited into Mark's office. And so we went into Mark's office and, you know, you got to know at the time, this was like 2010, uh, GM was in bankruptcy. Yeah, mm, right. That was a very specific time for them. High school graduation rates in the city of Detroit, on average, uh, with public schools were less than thirty percent. Yep. One in five homes were what was in in foreclosure. Yeah. It was a really tough time in Detroit. Yeah. And so Mark's lovely niceties, you know, rapport building, and then he said, "Listen." Uh, we just laid off 10,000 people, as you know. And so we are going to do our best to run an employee campaign, but we have a lot fewer employees and the employees that are remain are nervous. Mm. Yeah. And, they're, and they're doing the job of two and three people. So we're going to do our best. And of course, we're not in a position to give a corporate gift this year. Yep. And we said, well, you know, thank you for addressing that head on. We appreciate yeah. that. But we're actually not here to talk about the campaign or corporate gift. We really want to talk about the work that we're aiming to do here. And so we set out like our board, you know, this United Way board has set a big, hairy, audacious goal 
uh, two years ago to make Detroit a top five city to live and work by the mm. year 2030. Mm-hmm. So in the face of those economic challenges, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you plan to go about that? And, right. And so we talked about the fact that uh, this courageous board who agreed to that, Mike Brennan, the CEO, his vision, the Mike Tenbush, who was the vice president of educational turnaround, like these were really brilliant, brave, courageous people. And they had found some funders, um, Kresge Foundation. I, if I start naming them, then I'm going to leave someone sure, out. Right? Yeah. yeah, be careful. <laughs> but there were a, a handful of foundations that made some early investments so that we could pilot some of this turnaround work in five Detroit public schools. And the wor- it was working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they were getting traction. And it wasn't just about stopping the hemorrhaging of high school gradu- graduations or high school dropouts. It was also about looking at the the other end of it, which was that kids weren't showing up to kindergarten ready to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was that work around educational turnaround end to end. There was the work around uh, making certain that Detroit families had access to healthy, nutritious food, mm-hmm. because at that point in time, there was not not mm-hmm. a single grocery store was food in wow. the city of Detroit. Yeah. Giant food so, desert. Exactly. Giant food desert with, you know, it's the Motor City, but a lot of families didn't have reliable transportation. Yeah. The city of Detroit is $18 billion in debt. And so... The, there are only half the streetlights work. A lot of the buses have broken down and they're not getting repaired. Like, here's the environment. So it's not like, so really the only place families can get food is at the liquor store, the gas station, mm. right? And you know what yeah. kind of nutritious yeah. food you can enjoy from those places. And then helping families um, become financially stable, understanding, getting a bank account versus cashing their check uh, at the liquor store or worse yet, one of those pay advance places that yeah. takes. Yeah. yeah. So all that work. So the, the one ask, you know, coming out of that meeting was not an ask for money. The ask was come to our office. We want to take you on a tour of our work and showcase what we're, what we're up to and how we're doing. Yeah. Yep. So that was the, the one ask. So about six weeks later, Mark and um, a few of his people, his scheduler, so a few of, a couple of his people came and we invited him in for the story tour. Now, you know, the story tour is supposed to be like a casual conversation, but it is orchestrated like a space shuttle launch. Yes, <laughs> of course. And so I'm like, what drop, what door are you dropping him off at? Let's make certain we have our, our two one, one on the go cars there that happened to be GM cars that were donated mm-hmm. by Roger Penske and mm-hmm. had a nice United Smart. Way wrap. And so he came up, one of the first stop on the tour was the 211 help desk. He signed a confidentiality agreement. He put on a headset next to the call handler and he heard people calling in. Mm. And there was a gentleman who was calling in. He came back from a doctor's appointment and he had been locked out of his apartment. He was evicted. Yeah because he had had to choose between prescriptions and paying his mm. medical bills and paying his rent. And so, you know, Mark was moved by this. We moved him then. Second stop was our, our what we called the war room. And that was all about our high school turnaround, the mm. education programs. And, here, and, and, and he was enthralled by it. And we said, you know, we're working to turn around 
the city of Detroit, just like you're working to turn around General Motors. Mm. We need your thought leadership. We we need to know what you know. We need your your candid feedback because here's what's not working. Yeah. And we started talking about what's not working. And the more vulnerable we became, the more vulnerable he became. Mm-hmm. He said, at, and this moved me. He said, at GM, we've lost our soul. Mm-hmm. We have forgotten who we are, yep. but we are going to come back. We're going to make yep. it up to the city of Detroit. We're going to make it up to Michigan, to this nation. We are going to come back. And um, the one ask coming out of that tour was not for money. Mm-hmm. It was would you like to tour one of our turnaround high schools? Mm. And so fast forward, um, like this tour, I think was in July. School started up in September. So it was early fall. He came to a tour of Cody High School. And that tour, um, you know, he walked through the same metal detectors Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. every student walks through. It was an authentic immersion experience, just like Paul, Dr. Zach, Paul Zach talks about. Yep. And then we went into the library. There were principals who shared their stories of why they are so dedicated to these kids and this turnaround work and the progress that they've made with this early investment and the United Way turnaround approach. And then uh, three students came in and told their stories. And I will just say there was not a dry eye in the room. Oh, I bet. Of course. I bet. Yeah. And so... At the end of that exchange and that storytelling and that immersion experience, um, the principals left, the students left, and all that was left remaining was Mike, Mike, this, our United Way CEO, Jeff Bergeron, who was at every one of those experiences, every mm. one of those visits. Mm. Again, peer-to-peer dedication. Um, our Mike Tenbush, our VP of Education, and myself. And I had the privilege of walking Mark through because at the, at the tour at the United Way, he said, I'll come to the tour at your school, but I want to see a proposal for what would it take to turn around five more schools? Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I had the privilege of walking him through line by line by line, the proposal for turning around five more schools through investing, creating five new early learning communities aligned with the schools that oh, they would yeah. choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where those schools were of the 30 schools where were the five, uh, where, how did they map up to GM locations Mm -hmm. for, for volunteerism, for job shadowing, for mentoring and tutoring and all of those things. So I walked line by line through that proposal. One of the greatest privileges of my life. And then of course, Mike Brennan, the United Way CEO, he said, so we're asking you to make an investment of $27.1 million. (laughs) in United Way's turnaround work. Mm -hmm. And then Mark is like looking at it, he's shaking, he said, there's so much silence. And then he said, yes, let's do it. I have no idea how we're gonna do it, but we are going to do this. And then there was more silence because we forgot to rehearse what to say if he said (laughs) yes. And then he turned to me and he said, Tammy, I'm looking to you to leverage this gift with the other autos and the suppliers. Yeah, you are. You're not in this alone. Yeah, you are. Yeah. 
So fast forward, uh, it was in early December that United, uh, that that GM pulled out of bankruptcy, went back on the New York Stock Exchange, yeah. and um, then we held a press conference at one of the schools, yeah. and Mark and one of the students who had been on the tour wow. an- announced the gift. We did a big press conference. It was extraordinary. That's amazing. Congratulations. That is there, really There amazing. is so many levels of expertise and brilliance in that. The thing that I want to underscore is that scale is insane, right? That scale is so great. That size of giving. That size of giving. Impact. Impact, regardless of dollar amount, is possible. And it's possible because you had a mechanism to tell your story in that way. It wasn't like you got the meeting and were like, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? You knew exactly what you were going to do. You had the meeting and you you knew what the ask was. Come take a tour. Just like the ask is for anyone else. And so that's what I leave with is when you build the mechanism, you have that place to plug people in for the magic to happen versus reverse engineering. Yeah, I I love that distinction, and I will say it's the it's the process the, of the story tour when it meets extraordinary generosity yeah. and extraordinary leadership. Yeah. I love so it. I just I I don't want to take anything away from Mark and his no, team and his board. Not. And like yeah. that was one of the most profound um, fundraising experiences of yeah. my life. And I just, I, I acknowledge them, yeah. but yes, having that, that mechanism, that tour to authentically engage people, it just gives them the space to be as extraordinary, like the highest, most extraordinary version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for you to be at Elevate I and I can't wait for everyone listening to also be at Elevate February 1st and 2nd. Join us, elevatenonprofit.com. Yes. 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 Can't so wait. Tammy's going to do a deeper dive because I yes. think that the the piece that we've asked of Tammy is how do we give everyone the tool to apply this? Because it is something that I think everyone should be thinking about utilizing in their development plan. And while it feels like it could be really time consuming, I feel like the reward is so deep and so intense and is, like I said, that like connection back to people. So I hope that folks will um, join us so that you can get kind of that hands-on tutorial and apply. Um, Also, we're going to talk stewardship. We're going to talk bringing donors back into the organization. And Tammy, we just so appreciate you being here. But before we leave, we ask all of our guests to step into the fundraising elevator. And we ask um, two questions that we wanted to close with. One is heading up to the penthouse where there's a fun party. Tell us a little bit about a great event that you've been to and what made it great. Yeah. So where I went to was like one of the big galas with the live music and the fabulous food and, you know, all the people. That was like the first place I went and I thought... That's actually not my favorite fabulous event, Uh right? My favorite fabulous event uh, comes from the Children's Center, and it was the holiday gratitude reception Mm. that we hosted annually. And it was a family event. It was multi-generational. So we had, you know, some of our more mature, seasoned, longtime loyal supporters and their adult children who were also giving, and they were... Um, invited to bring their children and there were 
holiday crafts and there was like heavy hors d'oeuvres and signature cocktail and all of that for the adults. But there was like this little mini kid friendly food. Oh, and just, awesome. it, 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 it was like family. Awesome. Mm. It was so lovely. And we had a photographer who took family photos by the donor recognition wall and we would print them and frame them oh, quickly awesome. so they could take them with them. Amazing. That's awesome. And some would say, I don't need the frame. I'm just going to put it in front of the one that I took ah, last year. There you go. Oh, That's so good. Just so sweet. A few words from the CEO and board chair about how much we love them, uh, the donors, the supporters, and, and how they were helping move the needle in the community. Um, and that was, in a, of course, where we unveiled the updated donor appreciation wall each year. Oh. So it was, it was like family. It That's was just awesome. a family-friendly, loving event. That's awesome. I love it. All, it's all the tools for bringing it's people back the into the work. Well, so if we think about the tools and we head down to the boiler room, what's a tool that you think every development professional should have in their toolbox? Mm. Well, it's it's kind of, I'm kind of going to cheat and yep. do a big run-on sentence. You go. <laughs> you have to like people. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's true. That is right Even. there. Mic drop. Truth. <laughs> the big truth. you... Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you have to have a love of people. Mm -hmm. You need to be a good listener. You need to be curious. You need to ask great questions. I think sometimes we think we have to have all the answers and say everything perfectly. Mm. No, ask great questions. Really listen. Yep. Be curious and, and, and like people. That's so important life. and so overlooked in professional people. fundraising. Yes. Well, Tammy, you're brilliant. We appreciate you. There is actually a little um, video we're going to include for our YouTube uh, viewers, a little link to the video that you have on the Children's Center website of you doing a tour because Great. I go back to that all the time. It's so moving and it just kind of brings everything together. So if folks want to click on yep. that and check that out. We'll be sure to include it. Um where can people find your podcast? Yes. So wherever you consume podcasts, mm -hmm. you will find the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. Love it. So, so it is, wherever, it's our favorite. Where, I listen to you on walks every day. I love when a new episode comes out and you always have such incredible content. I learn all the time. So I encourage everyone to tune in. Um, and how do Thank people you. get a hold of you if they're interested in understanding more about your work? Yes. So you can connect with me at uh, Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, at fundraisingtransform.com. You can go to our website, fundraisingtransform.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am, although I am an introvert, I'm not hiding out online. So you <laughs> can find me. Okay. And we will put links to all of those we in the will. show notes. Thank um, you. Tammy is also offering listeners a special early bird offer through January 15th to the Intentional Fundraising Plan Masterclass that you can check out on fundraisingtransform.com. Thank you for providing offer. that. Thank you very much. Pleasure. We will see you in February. Yes. Thank you for being yes. on today and joining us. And Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne, with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. 
Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group and support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.